Work, wealth, wisdom. This is DC Entrepreneur. We're sharing stories, ideas, and lessons from startups and businesses in the pursuit of innovation. And we're helping build a community of problem solvers and thought leaders in the Washington area. Now, here's your host, George Mocharco. This is George Macharco, host of DC Entrepreneur, here on WERA 96.7 FM. I'm here today with Rob Pegarero. He is a freelance journalist and public speaker. Rob covers policy issues and writes reviews for Yahoo Tech and is a columnist for USA Today. Rob tries to make sense of computers, consumer electronics, telecom services, the internet, software, and other things that beep or blink through reporting, reviewing, and analysis. You got that right off my profile. (laughs) (laughs) Precisely. Yeah, it's a great great soundbite. He previously was the Washington Post's tech columnist for over a decade and resides in Arlington. Welcome today. It's good to be here. So, Rob, uh, you've traveled to a number of different conferences just since January. Um, To name a few, you've been to... I have a conference problem, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) You've been to South by Southwest, you've been to CyberTech, Intix, Smart Cities, uh, CES, Google I.O. Yep. Talk to me about what we're seeing in developments here uh, in consumer technology. Well, the one thing all these shows have had in common, these shows, conferences, small gatherings, it used to be you, you talk technology trade show, it would all be about computers, like things with a keyboard and a screen that sat in your desk or maybe your lap. And no one cares about that anymore. It's all about mobile devices, tablets, smartwatches, smaller things that by virtue of having sensors and an internet connection are self-aware and can tell the rest of the world what they're up to, which is kind of a better phrase than Internet of Things. It's a little played out. But yes, IoT, if you will. Uh, And, you know, not just what can the technology do, but how do we fit it into our lives? Uh, How do we make it secure and convenient? Uh, How do you make some money off of it? No one is. People haven't always necessarily figured that that angle out. So can you talk to me about what consumer technologies will look like in the next two years? What things are people going to adapt to and use in their daily lives? So I am actually still kind of bullish on smartwatches, even though I don't wear one myself. I see you're not wearing one either. Um, Right now, they're a little too bulky. The battery life is not where it should be. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, we already have this one device in our pocket we have to recharge every day. Most people do not want a second. This is a problem I think the industry knows how to solve, ultimately. Uh, The other thing they have to fix, and this is true of just mobile devices in general, um, we talk about optimizing for battery life. Optimize for my attention span. There are too many different apps and services and sites that want to bug me about what they're up to. And so, the and people think this is a good idea, the whole buzz over chatbots like really it's going to be so much easier for me to find things on the web by asking facebook messenger and having other sites send facebook messenger updates to my phone and my tablet and my laptop and my desktop all at the same time no actually i don't want to be that interrupt driven and smartwatch designers i think are feel this issue most keenly because you have this tiny bit of real screen real estate on your wrist and it can't be buzzing all the time it'll just be completely annoying and so if that constraint forces people to think a little more intelligently about what do I actually care about, what is worth a buzz on my wrist and having the screen light up versus save it for later, you know, apply those lessons to my phone as well, please. I heard the criticism once. Uh, there was a review I was reading about the Apple Watch, and they said that the main feature they didn't like about it was the double Apple. 
having the phone in their pocket and having the watch there. Are we at this point right now uh, basically over-technologized? Do we have too much technology in our lives? Are people starting to uh, leave behind some of the innovations we have? I had that thought the other day as I was sitting at my uh, desk in my home office, and uh, I had my desktop in front of me, my laptop to my right. Uh, my phone was on the desk. My iPad was there, and I'm reviewing an iPad Pro, so that was open as well. And and tragically, I would actually found it useful to have five different screens because <laughs> I think, you know, you've got your email on one, uh-huh. one you've got some speech going on, so you want the the, wind, the screen left open for that. You've got uh, Twitter on another, but, yeah, it's kind of sad. I'm glad there are no pictures of that uh, that spectacle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's interesting. I, I think what's happened with uh, mobile technology is now – um, the behaviors that people have in their daily lives make it kind of like a nervous tick. You're checking your cell phone, uh, if you have a smartphone, almost uh, once an hour just to see what messages have come through. Yeah, like I've tried to sort of make little rules for myself. Like uh-huh. if, if I'm at a Nats game, I will not check my phone except between innings or you know, at a pitching change. Uh-huh. But otherwise, watch the damn game. Right. Live in the moment a little bit. Yeah, message to everybody that's uh, recording the concert on their cell phone at the same time they're watching it. <laughs> yes, exactly. So so what kind of things are we going to see in the next couple of years that's consumer tech that people will be using? So one thing I'm watching for, I mentioned, you know, laptops versus tablets. Mm-hmm. And I've been spending a little time playing with pro tablets for a guide I'm working at for a review site called The Wire Cutter. And, you know, in a lot of cases, they are a good substitute for a, a laptop. You have this thing with an actual keyboard that attaches and is reasonably sturdy. And... Yeah, so there's been a lot of talk about, you know, can mobile technology displace the desktop? Some to the extreme version of that, you hear this from people like uh, Benedict Evans, this venture capitalist in Silicon Valley, that, oh, the phone will do it all. I've tried writing my column on my phone. No, it will not. (laughs) You know, I would challenge him to have been on this uh, Caltrain coming to San Francisco at the end of Google I.O., having to finish my USA Today column and file it on my phone because my tablet was dead. So, no, a phone is not a substitute for a laptop or even, or even a tablet. Do you but think- a tablet versus laptop, that's interesting. Yeah. I was just going to ask, do you think that the tablet will be the new computer, the new laptop that we have? Because I think they've marketed them that way, you know, having keyboards that attach to them versus typing on screen. It depends on what you're using it for. I mean, mm-hmm. my own mom, she replaced... Um, an iMac, which was my old iMac, mm-hmm. with an iPad Air. Mm-hmm. And that's what all she needs. She uses it for Facebook, email, the web. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't n- know what app she's using right now. I guess I'll, I'll take a look when, I, when I'm uh, visiting her in another couple of weeks. Uh, that's perfectly fine. My own purposes, you know, the big issue with a lot of tablets, especially Apple's, is because there's no file system, it can be really awkward and inconvenient to get data in or out of the device. So uh, it doesn't seem like the laptop's really going anywhere. The, the the personal computer is going anywhere. Yeah. I mean, certainly for me, like, I can't see a scenario where I would not go to something like CES or South by Southwest, this multiple-day sprawling event where you've got to do a lot of writing in a hurry. You've got to, you know, get data in or out of the machine as you're getting press kits on flash drives or whatever. You've got to recharge your phone, uh, and you need something you can recharge it from. Those are going to be laptop events. Right. Now, uh, going back to mobile technology, we've seen the rise of Samsung in that space, and they've competed heavily with Apple. What's going on with Apple? Are they starting to tank? Uh, seems like they've had some misses. I wouldn't misses. say that, but you know, the unfair critique against Apple mm-hmm. is, what's their next big thing? Why right. haven't they come up with a new iPad? Well, no one has. 
you know, they, um, you, you can't blame them for not doing what nobody else has done. Sure. It's, I think it's a pretty settled fact that smartphones and tablets are maturing markets. You know, the, the difference in functionality from the iPhone 6S and the iPhone 6 is just not that big. And a lot of features that were once high-end stuff are becoming table stakes, like thumbprint authentication, so you don't need to enter your your unlock code or unlock pattern 250 times a day. Uh, you know, really good cameras, battery life is getting better, uh, you know, make it as thin as possible. You can't do that much more. I think these days people would rather have a phone that was a little thicker if the battery life were better. Uh, the fair critique against Apple, I would say, is on the one hand, they seem to be devoting some of their efforts in the wrong direction. So there's this rumor that the next iPhone won't have a headphone jack. Mm-hmm. And some people have said, well, the headphone jack is a new floppy disk. No, it's not. Floppy disks were terrible because they didn't store enough data. They were big. They were bulky. Well, these things on our head or ears, they haven't changed in size. Headphones are really good. And some digital wireless replacement will need to be recharged. So who cares? So if Apple takes away the headphone jack, that's not, a, that's not something normal people are clamoring for or will appreciate. Uh, the way Apple, they're, they, they're very proud to have a very thin desktop with the iMac. I don't care how thick a desktop is. If I'm looking at it from the side, I'm using it wrong. Mm-hmm. And to make it so thin, they had to take away the optical drive, which, as the parent of a five-year-old, you know, the lifespan of a DVD or a CD your kid plays with is pretty short. So you do want to be able to convert those to a digital form. So um, talk to me about, you know, why um, we're at kind of where we're at right now, the, the, the competition in the consumer tech space. So it's funny, you know, one of the thought about Apple, you know, the two, three blocks from us, there's the Apple store in Clarendon. Mm-hmm. And if you go there, you'll see a lot of desktops and laptops that look nice. None of them are new. I mean, there's the the 12-inch MacBook, but that design is basically unchanged from the one they debuted about a year and a half ago. Uh Uh, Everything else, the MacBook Air is about a year and a half out of date. This is a company that used to be called Apple Computer Inc. Why do they have such a hard time making new computers? You know, Dell and HP do not have Apple's market cap. They don't have Apple's resources. But they apparently do know how to, like, buy the latest chip from Intel, put it in a new laptop, you know, keep their hardware in general current. Yeah. And then also you've got HP, which has a huge share of the government market. Right. Yes. And so it's funny, like I do need a new laptop. Uh, my, my own MacBook Air is really kind of ancient, but uh, I've got a Windows laptop that's even older. And when I replace that, anything new I buy from like Dell or Lenovo or whatever it will have a current Intel chip. It won't be last year's design. It'll be a convertible design, so you can fold it up and turn it into a tablet, which is something that Apple doesn't think is worth doing. So that's a case where Apple is just not, they don't look like they're trying to compete, and I don't know why they're not, because this is, not that my money is going to make a lot of difference to them, but I would I would like to give them my money, and I will not. I will not pay <laughs> this year's prices yeah. for last year's designs. Yeah. Yeah, it just seems like the, the innovation has come to a standstill with them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the innovations they've had just aren't um, capturing the imagination uh, yeah. and enthusiasm of its most loyal ardent, um, or ardent users. Um, so let's go on to other consumer technology. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about virtual reality. Virtual yeah. reality has been around for, what, 20-some years. And, you know, we used to see it in the media and movies and, and, and TV. And uh, it seems like it's always been this thing in the future happening that's going to happen in the future. Yeah, now we've seen it in conferences where you know got uh, you've got basically the goggles uh, marketed to consumers 
but we're not seeing VR really in uh, a lot of society just yet. What's happening there? Yeah, so I like VR. I think it has some really compelling use cases for things, certainly in professional areas like training, uh, simulation, what have you. There's a lot of potential for it as an artistic medium, but the problem is the hardware itself is pretty expensive. You know, normal people are not going to put an Oculus Rift on their Christmas lists. They are not going to put an HTC Vive on their, you know, their Amazon wish list. They might play around with Google Cardboard. And, you know, I think that is sort of underrated as a way to get people interested in it. I mean, my daughter, she likes holding up the cardboard to her head and wandering around like the, the Louvre or some other museum. Uh, I think this this may be a parallel for 3D, where mm-hmm. in a theater it's neat. You know, I don't mind paying a dollar or two for that. I don't need a 3D TV at home. And, and the market has decided none of us needs a 3D TV at home. And for a lot of people plain old sort of interactive 3D panoramas, that is just as compelling to sort of, to take you to some place and give you a sense of what it's like that you wouldn't otherwise get. And the other thing is, you know, 3D video, 3D panoramas, they don't give you nausea, which, you know, sometimes that's a risk with this. Yeah, I, I've heard of that where it's almost like you just come back from a, a sea trip <laughs> and there's, yeah. there's headaches that people get fatigue. Yeah. Uh, but is it also a question of maybe economies of scale once the price of VR technology comes I down? Mean, I think the way to the place to watch for this is gaming because mm-hmm. gamers have always been willing to pay a little more money for something that's neat that gives them a new experience. And yeah, like that, there's some really neat games I've tried out for the HTC Vive, where you know because you have the setup for people who haven't tried this out, it's your, your standard VR headset, but you also the system has these sensors you put at the corners of a reasonably large room that track where you are at. So the typical VR experience, your first comment is, where did my feet go? Where are my hands? Because <laughs> it's just catered yeah. to your head, and you're right. just sort of floating in space. But in this case, you actually see your hands, and you, you know, you're you holding a, uh, you know, a laser rifle or a, you know, a set of tools, or you're, you're painting with sparkles. Or you're like swimming through the sea or exploring the International Space Station, and it's the rest of you is actually there. But again, this is you know you think it's difficult to get people to buy a VR headset that only costs hundreds of dollars and requires them to sit still. Here, you need a special room in your house. Like I don't think I have enough space in my little Arlington bungalow to test out the HTC Vive. Right. So, do you, do you think there's one particular VR headset that is going to dominate the landscape? No, I think it's a little. Um, it's a little early for that to become a mass market model, except for maybe the cardboard, but then it's, it's, it'll be popular because it's free. Uh, there's nothing special to set up, and you know people know they're getting this thing literally made of cardboard, so they're not expecting incredibly high production values. Whereas if you, if you shell out the money for an Oculus and you see one bad VR environment, well, that's annoying. Did I spend all my money for that? You recently did a panel discussion on drone technology. Uh, from what we've seen so far, drone technology is basically just kind of the Radio Shack model of little drones that kids can play with. Is, is there something else coming down the pike that uh, we're going to see drone technology well, used? Here, for it's, it's not just an issue of technology. I mean, sitting where we are in Arlington, you know, we can legally fly a drone inside here, although management may object to that. But outside, the, the FAA says it's a, it's a no-fly zone within 10 miles of the National Airport. So, you know, it would be neat to do a uh, drone selfie of me and my family for our next Christmas card photo. You know, we might get fined for that. So that's an issue. 
commercial use, uh, the Federal Aviation Administration has just you know begun rolling out rules because it used to be you need to get special permission. And it's funny other other countries you know don't have those hangups, and so in some ways you know we're behind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, it's it's really a matter of practicality then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For for consumer uses, I think part of it is just you know can you make something that's fun. I think because the FAA, they have this registration requirement, if your drone is under half a pound, it's exempt. So if that sort of pushes the recreational market towards really small, really light drones that can't actually do much damage, you know, that's good overall. And the market is heading that way. I know my neighborhood's mailing list, we uh, we hit this threshold technology adoption a few months ago where somebody posted an email, did anyone lose their drone? <laughs> Someone <laughs> found a little quadcopter in their backyard. Yeah. I don't know if anyone claimed it or how uh, it got there, but we've arrived, apparently. Apparently. Yeah, it's just not the Frisbee on the roof, then. <laughs> no, it's it's the new Frisbee on the roof. <laughs> so, um, right now, are there any technologies that we're going to lose in the next couple of years? What's going away? Well, one thing I've been watching pretty keenly is how we get TV programming. Mm-hmm. And so, it's, you know, me, I cut the cord, as they say, about seven years ago, almost seven years ago. And, yeah, you know, Think of the money we've saved. It, it is not as convenient. You have to give up some things. But on the other hand, when you're saving, you know, $70 a month and, you know, your new TV your new TV pays for itself and the money saved within, you know, six, seven months, that's kind of nice. Yeah, I just think of myself now and uh, how I use on-demand more so than I really watch anything on TV and services like Netflix or Amazon Prime – um, to really uh, kind of round out my entertainment on, on the television. Um, but it, it seems like um, the cable companies really haven't responded to that yet. Are they? Do they have anything in their back pocket you know, that they're planning on doing? So they can't quite seem to let go of the bundle. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the best response I've seen has been from Dish Network, okay. the satellite company. They introduced Sling TV a year and a half ago, which is an, an over-the-top internet-only video service, 20 bucks a month. Gets you ESPN, HGTV, uh, you know, a lot of the channels you actually want to get on cable, like AMC. Uh, you know, it's it's only in an app, so you can watch it on your iPad. You can Chromecast it to your TV. There's a Roku app. They just came out with an Apple TV one. Um, you know, it is not – it's easy to find excuses for why, oh, Sling TV won't work. It doesn't have obscure channel no one else has heard of. You can only watch it on one screen at a time. But look, twenty bucks a month—that was an easy thing for me to sign up for. Sure, and and, and that's you know a skinny bundle. Yeah, you, you don't see that in traditional cable offerings. Where cable is moving, you know, I have to give them credit for moving sluggishly, but faster than I expected six months ago. They have sort of recognized some of them that people don't like paying ten or twenty bucks a month for a stupid cable box under the TV that has this remote that's just encrusted with buttons and did not benefit from any usability testing whatsoever. So, you know, if you can at least go from paying too much for your TV bundle and your cable box to just paying too much for the TV bundle and you get your cable through an app on your TV that at least looks nice, that's progress. So uh, talk to me about what you know uh, for the future of autonomous or self-driving cars. Well, I mentioned that we have a uh, five-year-old at home, so Mm -hmm. I'm I'm very pro-self-driving cars getting you know, perfected and becoming the norm before she turns 16. <laughs> it would make me a lot, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> put me at ease as a dad. Uh-huh. I, I think 
we have to get there because people are not that are not very good drivers. I mean, I grew up in New Jersey, so I saw it firsthand. I'm not, <laughs> I've been part of the problem. I'm not going to lie. Um, you know, what you have right now is part of it is a psychological problem. Mm-hmm. People don't want to admit that they're not good drivers. We all think we're much better than we are. And we sort of forget about the times where we took our eyes off the road for a second and wandered into the other lane but corrected it in time. Uh, we forget that even if we're good drivers, a lot of other people are not. But for autonomous cars to really take off, you need them to be the only cars on the road. How do you do that? I don't know. So I think it's more likely that, you know, things like taxis really call out mm-hmm. for the use of self-driving cars, which, you know, if you're driving for, for Uber and feeling your your rate getting pressured all the time, this probably doesn't make you feel very good. Uh, you know, things like, you know, what are robots always good at? The tasks that are boring, dangerous, repetitive for humans. So... You know, if I were still regularly driving to New Jersey to visit family there, I, I would love to hand that off to a self-driving car because I have seen too much of the New Jersey Turnpike and Interstate 95. <laughs> I don't need to be, you know, just the scenery alone bores me to death. But at least uh, in the future, you'll have a, a chance to use the apps on your cell phone while you're getting to your destination. Right, exactly. Yeah, and you know, obviously, when there's issues like the the Tesla Model S, where mm-hmm. the the autopilot did not detect the, the tractor trailer next to it, ran into right. it. But on the other hand, you know, Tesla is not really saying, you know, this is this is um, something that Google has run into when they've been testing their self driving car. You, you, what happens is once people think that the car has got it covered, even if you tell them to pay attention, they won't. And Google found this out when they started handing out these Lexus hybrids with their self-driving car setup to Google employees and said, you know, you're going to beta test this. We're going to have a camera inside the car, so you have to keep your hands on the wheel, you know, just in case. And you can only let the car drive itself on the highway. And people still didn't pay attention, even though they'd signed agreements and everything and they, they were being recorded, they stopped paying attention. And that's where Google realized we cannot sell this to the public unless, you know, it really is as close to perfect as we can make it. Tesla's kind of in the middle ground, and, and they've got this in cars being sold to the public. And if people on their own decide, this is good enough, I can stop paying attention. Yeah. And sometimes, like, I've certainly found that, you know, sometimes if you're on a long drive, it's better to not have the cruise control on so you're sort of forced to deal with the reality of driving the car. Right. And and I know when, uh, you know, there's nothing like a stick shift to really make you pay attention when you're driving in traffic. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I used to drive a manual transmission uh, vehicle myself. Well, is there anything else you'd like to leave us with today, Rob? Well, I guess, um, yeah, I, I, one thing I try to keep in mind when I'm reviewing technology is, you know, do you actually need this? It's very easy to say, like, this is a neat technology. Mm-hmm. But then I realized that when I've actually packed up the loading unit and shipped it back, FYI listeners, I don't get to keep any of this stuff, that I'm not actually tempted to spend my own money on it. And in some ways, like I, I said, have a lot of old technology at home because I have some sense of what's coming up. And so it's very easy for me to find reasons to, you know, keep stuff around for longer. That's not bad. But at the same time, please install your software updates. You know, old hardware, Mm -hmm. that's okay. Old software is often bad things happen. Yeah. Well, good to know for the early adopters out there. Yes. Thanks so much for speaking with us today, Rob. And uh, if they want to get more information, they can go to Rob Pigarero. Yes, uh, so 
at yeah, robpegarero.com. I'm at robpegarero on Twitter. It's facebook.com slash robpegarero. Basically, first name, last name, anywhere. The advantage of having an unusual last name. I can always get my username. Disadvantage, nobody can spell it. <laughs> That's- so it's P-E-G-O-R-A-R-O.com. RobPegarero.com. Yes, sir. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Subscribe to this podcast via iTunes and connect with us on our blog, dc-entrepreneur.com. If you have any tips or ideas for stories, please tweet at us or message us on Facebook. Please tune in to our next episode, and thanks for listening.